This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 627 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, Total Saddle Fit, and Surefoot Equine Stability Program. On today's show, we have Mary Pardee, the Director of Riding and Assistant Professor of Equine Studies at Lake Erie College, talking about post-secondary equine education. After that, regular guest Wendy Murdoch will join us, and we'll bring you a great trainer tip about horse showing. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Phil. Hi, Reese. How's it going? It's going great. It is a beautiful day in Kentucky, and uh, yeah, we worked a lot of horses today. It was great. That's 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 awesome. It was beautiful here too, and we worked a few horses and <laughs> just having a great time. I know something. No, we're having a good time. We, we're also, it's been really busy. Uh, we have a lot of stuff still going on here. Pony Club Festival is this week here in Lexington. And it's fun because even driving to the grocery store, I saw a bunch of Pony Club kids and it made Pony me Pony Club is everywhere. You're they, over- they literally are everywhere, but that's okay. We like it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to teach at uh, Pony Club Festival. Uh, I'm going to do a little commentary for the Retired Racehorse Project this weekend. So lots going on, keeping us out of trouble. That's for sure. All right. Well, I think the big news that we're all reading about almost every day is uh, the Olympics is about to kick off in a couple of days. Phil, aren't you so excited? I'm so excited. I can't wait. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> there, there's some negative news out there about yes. about COVID and stuff. So it's, it's it doesn't feel like a regular Olympics to me. I, I know, but I cannot wait to watch the Olympics. I, I, I literally, I'm not going to sleep for two weeks. So everybody, if I sound funny, it's just because lack of sleep, because I am literally watching at 2 a.m. Everything. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I, I love the Olympics. I'm so excited. I can't wait. The opening ceremonies start tomorrow. Oh, I'm watching it all. I'm like ready to go. All yeah. right. And, well, uh, and the dressage is going to kick off. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's, 4 a.m. That's what we're really looking at. I, that's going to, that's going to test me. But I don't know. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm going to be on the couch. I'm going to be ready to go. I'm going to set my alarm. Don't judge me. I'm ready to go. I hope other people are like me. I'm ready. <laughs> well, I guess other than the United States, who are you going to cheer for in, uh, in the current Olympic uh, dressage competition? Well, you know what? I think you and I and everybody listening, I have watched the entire journey of everyone going to the Olympics, going to Aachen, being in quarantine. And I think these athletes have given up so much. To be perfectly honest, I am literally going to cheer for everybody because, and I I feel like that with the Olympics, like I cheer for everyone because I think I have, and, and you too, Phil, like we know how difficult it is to actually just get down that center line or any sport you do. You know, these athletes literally give their entire life. Their families do the same thing. And it's so incredibly difficult to do it that I have such respect for every athlete that that is at the Olympics. And so for me, 
that's how I feel. I literally going to be cheering for everyone. I want to see, I want to see uh, all the PF and massage transitions. I want to see all the one-time changes. Like I'm ready in general, just ready mm-hmm. to go. <laughs> All right. So I guess we should tell our listeners that the, the Grand Prix is happening on the 24th and the 25th. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that will be everybody. I think that's 60 competitors. Yes. Uh, we'll go for the Grand Prix. And then uh, the, the top eight teams will move mm-hmm. on to, uh, to perform the special to determine mm-hmm. the uh, team medals. That's right. It's uh, pretty, pretty awesome. And then the top eight. 18 individuals will move on to compete in the in the freestyle for individual medals. Yes. So and and we have more facts and figures. There are 30 countries that are competing, 15 teams, and 60 horse and athlete combinations, which is pretty cool. Germany are defending the team championships and chasing down their 14th Olympic equestrian title. That's amazing. Yes. That's so, so cool. yeah, they've won, they've won the team title. Uh, 13 of 20 times. So mm-hmm. they are, I guess uh, they are powerhouses in this, uh, mm-hmm. in this event. And this year is going to be, I think they're, they're really, really strong. So they are so strong. Like the German team's amazing. And, uh, the defending individual champion, Great Britain, Charlotte Desjardins, she is not riding Allegro, who's been retired. Uh, she has a new horse and a fairly young horse. So it'll be really fun to see. Uh, she is so experienced. And uh, they call the the young horse, his name is Pumpkin. And, uh, and, and it'll be really interesting to see. She had a couple horses to choose from and she chose him. So I'm sure she had a reason to do that. And I, I hope someday I have that that choice, but she was able to do that, which is pretty cool. And the okay. record in the Grand Prix isn't just for some little bit more trivia, Phil. If anybody asks, if you're ready for if you're an Olympic trivia, here you go. The Grand Prix record breaking score was set at the London International Horse Show in 2014, and it's an 87.460. And the world record in the freestyle, (laughs) just insane, is a 94.3. And the Grand Prix Special World Record uh, is an 88.022, was set at Hagen in Germany in 2012. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah. uh, I just wanted to give a shout out that, you know, one of my personal favorite riders is, uh, I don't know if anyone's had a chance to to check her out, Catherine Dufour, and her oh, horse yeah. uh, Bohemian is sort of a special horse, and that's, they're from Denmark, and that's a special combination, um, you know, if anyone's gonna, you know, medal outside of the Germans, I think, I think it'll be this, mm-hmm. this combination, they perform just such beautiful tests and beautiful freestyles that, uh, that that's kind of my personal other than the Canadians, of course, that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, who I'll be uh, who I'll be cheering for personally to have a great uh, to have a great show. Well, and I will say I saw Charlotte Fry at Aachen. It would now two years ago before COVID. We we saw her on Everdale. Ooh, it's beautiful. It's really cool. So that'll be incredibly cool to watch. So I'm kind of watching that combination because uh, it's just, it's beautiful. And you watch it and you think, oh, wow, you know, I want to ride like that when I grow up. Um, she's really, really cool. And we have to shout out to to the officials. I think um, I am friends with Janet Foy. I'm also friends with her on Facebook. And it's so cool to see from the judge's perspective. You know, I think we think about the riders, but 
you know, you have the president of the ground jury, you have all the ground jury that are going, you have FEI delegates and officials uh, that are stewards that are there. And that's their Olympic games too. You know, we all dream of riding in, in the Olympics, but there is something to be said too about being an official there. I mean, these people have given their entire lives to being officials at competitions. And so it's their Olympic games too. So it's fun to see it through Janet's eyes uh, that she is at the Olympic games and, and this is her Olympics and she's worked her entire life to go there. So shout out to the team of officials, it, what they're I think, having I think to the whole support through. staff, you know, yes. uh, that's, a, that's a great point. You know, the veterinarians that go, you know, they work really hard and, and to get accredited and, and all those things. And, the and the physio people, I mean, that's the mm-hmm. pinnacle of their, their professional careers is to, mm-hmm. to be support staff, just to, to uh, to help the team and to help the horses and 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 the riders, I think that's it's such a a whole team experience uh, mm-hmm. that everybody gets to participate and 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 take a lot of pride in. So um, absolutely, yeah, and thank you to and all the officials. The yeah, the in the in the people that work at the um, equestrian federations. I mean, they're going to the Olympics and they've been in Germany in quarantine. And I think this Olympics specifically, you know, these riders they are stuck in their hotel rooms and they are, you know, they're playing Uno together kind of thing. Like they are really this is a different type of Olympics. They're going through incredible sacrifices to be there. So it's just cool. And you know, just a couple more facts. Uh, Caroline Chu, she's twenty seven. She's set to become the first Singaporean to compete in equestrian sports in the Olympic Games. That's cool. You know, there's so many people that will go and it will change their lives and change their careers um, that I just, this is, this is why I'm cannot wait for the Olympics. Like it's just such a cool thing to watch and be a part of. And um, I'm, we just get to see the TV coverage. We don't get to see the, the backstories, but you know, all these people, it's really cool. So um we hope everyone is excited and I can't, I, like I said, I'm really going to try for the 4am wake up call. Uh, there'll be a lot of coffee in my house, but I'm going for it. I feel like that's the experience. I'm ready. I want to watch it live, but truly, uh, I, I, I really wish everybody luck and, uh, it's been, co- it's been fun and we can't wait to get some coverage when they get back to their respective countries. Uh, it'll be fun. And we've had some, some of the athletes on. And so can I, check out our previous episodes for any more. Uh, we've had a lot of the Canadian riders and some of the American riders on, and I, and we hope you really enjoy it. So, uh, we're going to have a quick commercial break and we're going to change gears and we're going to talk about sort of the process and, and equine colleges with Mary Pardee. And we hope you enjoy. Our friends at Kentucky Performance Products have a contest going on for all of our listeners. You can win 20% off and free shipping for one year on the supplement of your choice that does not include Equijewel, along with a box of KPP prizes, custom leather halter, a KPP Centaur Turbo Dry Sheet. All you have to do is tell us how Kentucky Performance Products supplements have made a difference in your horse. Go to kppusa.com tell us and answer three simple questions. What KPP supplement do you use? Why have you chosen KPP over other brands? How have KPP supplements helped your horse? One lucky winner will be chosen at the end of the month. Who doesn't want 20% off and free shipping for a year? That's kppusa.com forward slash tell us. 
Well, tonight I am so excited to have Mary Pardee. She is the Director of Riding and an Assistant Professor of Equine Studies at Lake Erie College. Mary, welcome to the show. Hi, Reese. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, we have been friends for a long time, and we had dinner last night, which was so fun because you're in Lexington for the Pony Club Festival that's going on this week. I am seeing lots of fun cars driving around town with teams and lots of team spirit. It's, it's, it's fun. So I'm glad you're in town this week. Thanks. It's great to be here. And it, the energy over at the Pony Club Festival is Amazing. Just the, if you think the cars are great, you should see the golf carts. The, the <laughs> kids from Hawaii have hula skirts all over their golf carts. And it's really cool. Very fun. Oh, I love it. Well, we were chatting last night at dinner and, and we felt like this would actually be a great discussion for us to have on the show because we we're just talking about, you know, the idea of kids going to equine colleges and and some pluses and minuses and kind of the whole whole deal. And actually, I don't know how much people know about Philip and I, but I am um, uh, uh, an assistant professor or associate professor at the University of Kentucky. I teach a course called Global Sport Horse Industry. Uh, and I, I teach in the fall, so I'm going to be doing that soon. And Phil, you also write had a connection with the university. Yeah, so I was uh, the dressage instructor for the University of Guelphs. Um, they 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 run it as a as a club program. So they have a you know, they have an equine program at the University of Guelph, and then they have a equestrian club, and they run some lessons and stuff like that. And we actually competed, um, I think, for seven years uh, when I was the coach in the. Uh, Intercollegiate Dressage Association. So I've I, I've got a connection there. I've been to Lake, Lake Erie College quite a few times for the competitions and stuff, and that's uh, uh, a really a really fun program. But uh, unfortunately, I'm just n- no longer part of uh, part of that at the moment. Right. Yeah, at the moment. But we, I think we all kind of come to this discussion with kind of some interesting ideas on equine programs. And, you know, basically, Mary, you're here recruiting students at the Pony Club Festival. But, you know, tell us, what are some top questions that parents ask uh, when students are starting to come in and want to look for colleges? I would say the number one question, and I've been at the school for 16 years. You know, I came out of the A-Circuit Hunter Jumper world. And there's this common idea that if my kid goes and studies, you know, equine studies, or they're doing horses for a business, at some point, they're going to end up living in my basement. You know, this is not a way to make a living. This is not a sustainable future for my child. Why should I pay this kind of money for my child to go to college and study horses? And it's some variation on that. And as all parents do, they worry about their child's happiness, their child's um, education, but at the end of the day, their employability and is this going to be a fulfilling and sustaining career for them? So it's a variation around that. Well, maybe you could answer that question for us in in a way that uh, you do to satisfy those parents. I'd be happy to. The first thing I say to them, you know, there's that old saying that if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. But we all know that some days getting out of bed and going even to the beautiful barn like Reese has can feel a little bit like work. So I don't try to trot that one out, um, no pun intended. I do (laughs) say to them, though, that, for instance, at our school, they're going to a small liberal arts college. So you're still getting all your core 
education that you would get in any liberal arts or really any university. There's core components that you have to fulfill, whether it's language, sociology, psychology, math, biology, all those things. So they're still doing that. In our program, if they do one of our four areas of study, they will get a bachelor of science degree in the major in which they've chosen, the equine studies major in which they've chosen. And if that student is going to pursue horses or just something in the equine industry as a career, we are not only giving them a good grounding or any of the schools that do this in horse-centric things, whether it's nutrition or anatomy and physiology or health or lameness or um, pasture management, but we're also having them take classes in marketing, in equine business management, in equine facility management. We're giving them that edge that maybe some of their peers who are lifelong equestrians but haven't dug a little deeper that they're not experiencing. The other key thing is the guidance and the mentorship that I think happens in good equine studies programs that, you know, that old saying, it's not just what you know, it's who you know. I mean, I'm proud to say that two of the Olympians that are in Tokyo right now, we have had students that have been working students for them, Adrian Lyle and Boyd Martin. It, it is how you help facilitate that student's journey from an 18 or 19-year-old freshman to when they graduate, the work experiences you help set up for them, the riding experiences, maybe they get to sit on a much nicer or fancier horse than they could ever afford. All of those intangibles go into creating, I think, a very well-rounded horse person who is extremely employable. I don't know about you guys, but I have more good professionals calling me looking for help at all levels, then I have students to fill those jobs. And and it's a good living. I mean, it's not the low wages that were historically paid in the horse industry. Good professionals, and Reese and I talked about this last night, they know that to get and to keep good people, you have to pay them a living wage and you have to value them. Well, and I think that's true. And I think, too, what's different about the equine industry now is and and I am skewed because I typically am in Lexington, Kentucky or Wellington, Florida. So there's a lot of jobs that support not just being the trainer or the groom that works with the trainer or the assistant trainer. Uh, you know, you, you there's so many other supporting industries that that are around the horse industry and I think that's one of the things that we highlight in in my class is you know, I think everybody goes in thinking I'm going to be a trainer. Well, right. you know, Phil and I can, can if, if your kid wants to do that, just send Phil and I an email, um, but <laughs> like, we can, we can talk to them about that. Just, and, and, just and text I was, us to see what we're doing on, yeah. on that day. And, and then yeah, maybe, like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like just text us on the day. Um, but you know, I think that's, that's what's interesting. Uh, you, you talk about nutrition companies, uh, vanning and logistics companies, uh, you know, the list does kind of go on farrier companies, not just the farrier, but bookkeepers, horse show management, people that run the horse shows and travel with that. So it really is a vast industry. Um, so I, I am, have always been a huge proponent, um, and, and Phil and I, and, and, and I went the route of, I have a, a, a master's degree. Um, so I went the route of doing that, uh, and going to school. Actually, it was pretty easy because I went to the college 
University of Kentucky that was close to my family. So I didn't travel. So I did, I did go ahead and go to school and that was my choice. And and I am glad that I was able to do that. So I can bring that piece, but Philip, right. You went to Europe. Your education was a different education. Yeah. It was kind of a, probably in the end, a little bit harder and, and kind of think back on it and thinking like, uh, that maybe wasn't the right choice. I had to do a lot of kind of growing up really fast. And, you know, I I probably should have gone, gone to school at least to earn some business credits. You know, subsequently I've had to kind of learn, learn things by doing them the wrong way and make mistakes. And, and, uh, that's, you know, it, it probably wasn't great, but, uh, the way I did it, school, school didn't work for me. So I think it was fine, but, I, I I think more and more now you need some some skills that that you can only get at school to you know accounting and business stuff and and also um, in some computer skills these days is is really important and networking and communication skills are are paramount. I would agree with you absolutely, Phil. You know, I did I also went to University of Kentucky. I was an English major. I wasn't supposed to do this for a living, you know, and I sort of came to it through very many, very roundabout ways. But I think back on the the things that I learned the hard way as a young professional, because I only knew what the people who had taught and trained me before this taught me. I didn't have all this extensive training in pasture management and in lameness and Back in the dark ages, if you wanted to get educated, you had to pick up a book. You know, you couldn't just look at Google suspensory, you know, injuries online and figure out what was going on. So it, it's, and, and as you said, Reese, there's so many opportunities within the equine world, whether it's in the breed-based industries, whether it's thoroughbred industry, Morgan Horse, AQHA, Arabians, international commerce, you know, agents that are buying and selling horses, transport. We had a student fly back with horses from Holland because she wanted to know what that business was about. And so it gives you an opportunity to investigate all these different aspects of the horse world and see where you fit in because you're absolutely right. A lot of them think they want to be a a trainer or an instructor and they quickly come to the realization that that's not what their journey is going to be. And so they can pivot and find something else. It might be equine therapeutic major, whether it's a therapeutic instructor or an administrator or an equine business manager. Think about how many trainers we know that really are not great business people and would love to have someone to manage their affairs or do their website or their marketing. Oh, so many. I mean, I think that that's the that's the 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 big point now is, you know, the the easiest part of my job on a daily basis is actually riding horses. And I think that's, yeah. it, it, it truly is, you know, I think that is what is difficult about being an actual professional rider is you have to be able to market, you have to be able to run your business. If you don't do that, you need to be able to find someone that can. And that's what I tell my students. You know, there's a lot of people around there that need that support to do our jobs well. And I think that that's super important as a discussion of, of you know, having that education. Like Phil said, to, to train horses isn't necessarily something we learned in school. 
to be able to be articulate. And, you know, Phil and I, we both run businesses. Uh, we have a podcast, so we have to be able to do these things. And, and we have support from the Horse Radio Network, but we have to be able to run our show. And that's a skill. I learned a lot of the skills that I would be using here in, in school. And so that's really important. I think that people need to realize, and, and, you know, all of us on the call, not to, we're all middle-aged now. And when you are middle-aged, your body doesn't hold up like it does when it's 20. And, you know, I don't want to ride every horse that comes down the road. I, I probably physically couldn't do that. So that is important for young people to know is when you're 20, you don't think of it that way. When you're 40, you have a different opinion of, of the horses you want to ride and, and what you're doing. And, um, I don't even, I don't even mind that, you know, it is what it is. And, um, so I think having that education, being able to, to run things and, and do your marketing and, and, and understand at least what's happening, I think is incredibly important. So Mary, I have a question for you. And, and I think Phil and I can weigh in. A lot of people want to know if they should take their horse to college. What's your opinion on that? That's a great question. We get asked that quite a bit. I I look at it slightly differently. I, I teach the teacher trainer classes. And so the upper level kids who really want to be professionals. So from that aspect, what I say to them is, unless your horse is going to be a career maker or a career starter for you, or they are truly your therapy animal, you might want to consider leaving them at home because we, for instance, have between 40 and 60 school horses. And for a professional, you need to learn not just one ride, but multiple rides. And so you're going to be really busy riding a lot of different horses. And your first job is to be a student and not every student has the time management skills, maybe as a first semester freshman, to bring their horse with them to college. And every equine studies program is different about the criteria to bring your horse in, whether you can board at the facility or not. You know, so a lot of questions have to go into that. Very often, the parents are quite relieved when they hear that because they're thinking about the additional expense of paying for the horse on top of all the collegiate expenses. However, we recognize that there are students that that horse really is their best friend. That is their safe place. And if they dearly want to bring that horse with them, and that's going to make college a better place for them, by all means, bring the horse. If it's going to be a good circumstance for you and your horse, bring them. And that's why we try to be very inclusive about that at Lake Erie. You know, some colleges, if your horse doesn't meet a certain criteria of skill or discipline, you're not welcome to bring them to the campus facility. We have a slightly different take on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just a really uh, individual decision, and and perhaps if if your um, place of education doesn't have a doesn't have a place, spend a semester just trying to figure out where you know what would be an appropriate boarding facility for for you to go to. I think it's really tough to manage, you know, moving yourself away from home and moving your horse away from home all at the same time. I I think I've seen that, you know, come into a disaster situation of too much stress and and too much so. You know, I think for at least, you know, the first four months or whatever that that perhaps that, that you could 
uh, lease your horse out or, or leave it at home and have someone else ride it or, you know, that to help your transition into, into college be a little bit, uh, a little bit less stressful. Yeah. And, you know, I, I took a slightly different route again. Um, I was able to go to the university of Kentucky, which was about 25 minutes from my parents' farm. So I was very, very lucky that I was able to keep my horses at home. Uh, but my parents were pretty specific and they said, if I was going to ride in college, my horse, I had to stay at the university of Kentucky. Basically. Um, they said, you know, we will send you anywhere you want to go for college. But my mom said, I'm not sending the horse. I'm not dealing with the horse and what's going to happen over Christmas, et cetera. Um, and, and I was lucky. I was able to get some scholarship money to the university. It was in-state tuition. And that is sort of how my family worked it. And again, I, I but I also had a horse, like you said, Mary, at that time he was um, trying to think. I had done young riders on him and I was pushing toward the Grand Prix. So um, I, I, you know, I, I was also very competitive on him and still doing mm-hmm. that and, and, and ended up kind of interspersing, uh, different things while I was in college. Uh, but for me, uh, it, that was a really important thing. Cause I had ridden my entire life and I, you know, I couldn't, I wasn't at, at a point in my career where I wanted to give up competitive riding. So it, it worked well for me to be able to, to do that. So, um, you know, I, I agree. I think it's very student specific, and then I'll have students can connect with me here, you know, that they're going, we have several universities fairly close to my farm, you know, like three or four of them. And, you know, I'll have some students call me and, oh, I want to work or I want to do this. I want to do that. And the first thing I say to them is, I, I think you really need to step back and, and look at where you are and are you able to come out to put the time into what we need to do here at the farm? If you're not, it's okay. Like I, I'm going to run my business and do, but I've seen more students sort of pile too much on and that doesn't work well either. So I think that's really important for students to think about, especially freshmen or students that are sort of transfer students. It's important to just enjoy your time at the university in the grand scheme of things that goes really fast. I would go back to college mm-hmm. any day. I loved college. Um, I just loved being with people and I love just, I just thought it was great. Probably why I still go there. Cause I still love it. Um, and I love the students and I just enjoy the atmosphere, but it does take a lot of time and you have to get there and park and get to your house and get to co- you know school and study. And I do believe that studying is really important, um, part of what you're going to do because it's, it is a short in the grand scheme of things, four years is pretty small part of your life. So I think it's, it's, it's important to kind of know yourself and know your horses. And, and like Phil said, do you know the area and the traffic? And, you know, if you were going to school at a big city, you know, getting out to the horses is, is not so easy. So I think it's really important to step back and really answer those questions. You made a really good point there too, about, you know, that four years goes really quickly. And this may be their only time to have an opportunity to go abroad, study abroad, or to do something that's non-horse related. And, you know, and, and Phil, you're exactly right. You have to first get situated and get oriented as a student. And it's a very individual decision. Um, we have students from all over the country. I had, you know, two girls that are coming from California for them to ship their horse all the way. You know, we never say no, but we are very 
pragmatic and realistic with them and with their parents about what are the options? Why do you want to do this? How can we best meet your needs here? And if not at our place, one of the myriad of barns that surround us, we have many, many great professionals in Northeast Ohio and, you know, maybe they're better situated there basically. Yeah. And I think working with the school is important with that. And that's sort of the difference with a smaller school versus a bigger school. University of Kentucky, they they do also help place people with with qualified people as well. But I, I think it's it's huge. And and I think Phil and I could, you know, we both were abroad and changed our lives. And I am a huge study abroad fan. And I I, I it was great. I even led a group of students. Uh, a st- as, uh, we did a study abroad for two weeks in Germany and the Netherlands. So I get to do that as well through, you know, and broaden these kiddos horizons. It's pretty cool. So um, I think really look at the university, really look at what they have to offer. And, and Mary, uh, you guys have a really great scholarship program. Can you tell us a little bit about that? We do. We have a, an overarching scholarship program called the Equine Talent Scholarship. And that is not necessarily geared just towards riders. We are really looking for that person that's going to be an asset to the equine industry. And under that umbrella, we have some that are dedicated to certain organizations. And one of the things we're doing this week at Pony Club is we have brought a a very generous scholarship amount with us of of $7,500 that is renewable for four years, so potentially $30,000 in scholarships that we're going to award at the end of this week to a United States Pony Club member who is here at festival. I've been interviewing um, prospective students the last couple days, met some wonderful, wonderful individuals. They're not all the top-rated pony clubbers. Some of them are here for quiz challenge. Some are here for staple management. Some are here to ride. But we're, we're looking for that, I use the dedicated, driven, determined young student who is passionate about being a member of the equine world and, and you know, enrolling in Lake Erie College in a, one of our four-year equine studies degrees. That is fantastic. So if our, you know, hopefully people are hearing this and uh, they can connect with their riders or, or, or individuals that are here at festival, but how can they contact you online to get more information? So they can contact me online. My uh, email address is M as in Mary, my first name, Pardee, that's P-A-R-D as in dog, E-E, at L ec.edu or if they're here at festival we have a booth set up we are in the covered pavilion we're very close to the information booth where they got all their packets and things uh, at the beginning of festival and if they are not here this week we have many other scholarships available if they're not a member of pony club we have many other scholarships available they range um, in in denomination from one thousand dollars renewable for four years to $7,500. And these are all for incoming freshmen. It's not for transfer students, unfortunately. So we are encouraging anyone who is a junior or senior 
to be looking at these scholarships and applying. And it also, and this is important, this that does not eliminate their ability to get additional financial scholarships based on their academic achievements. Uh, Lakeridge College has very generous scholarships based on academic achievements, so they can bundle these scholarships together to make a really affordable, um, you know, private school collegiate experience for themselves. Fantastic. Well, Mary, thank you so much for your time and the overall discussion. It was great. And uh, we hope some parents will connect with you and, and students as well. And uh, fantastic scholarships. And there are scholarships out there. So you just have to take a look at them. So Mary, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It was great. This is Sophia Aguena. I'm Casey Wilbanks-Coletti. And I'm Mike Donnell. We're here to tell you about OISA, the Western and English Sales Association, and its podcast, Wisdom by OISA. OISA produces the world's largest trade events for retailers, manufacturers, and sales representatives in the equestrian industry. On our show, we talk to people who tell the stories of some of the best-known Western and equestrian brands. Visit wisdombyoisa.com and tune in today. Well, tonight we have our favorite monthly guest on, Wendy Murdoch of the Murdoch Method. Wendy, how are you? I'm fabulous, of course. How are you? We love it. We always look forward to you coming on because we have to finally, we have to literally start the tape because we chat forever and I I love it. (laughs) So how have you been? I've been great. I went up to New Hampshire and I did a shortcut and a riding workshop and then I went to Martha's Vineyard and ate lobster. So, oh, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds good. I mean, for me, you know, I have a shellfish allergy, so that's like oh. a bad thing. But like, it sounds amazing. It was and amazing, and I I went out there, and it was just it was so hot and humid, and the air was so still. I didn't teach; I just hung out, which was. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, tell us when you go do a surefoot clinic. Tell us what do you do? How did how does that work? Oh, okay. So a Surefoot workshop is for primarily for equine professionals that want to become Surefoot practitioners. So, you know, there's so many people that need help understanding how to use Surefoot with their horse, or um, we have body workers and we have veterinarians. We have a lot of veterinarians lately that are really interested in adding Surefoot to their practice. So what we want to do is is train them so that they understand how to use Surefoot safely, number one, you know, and things to look for because Every horse is different, but you, you, there's so many things that can happen. And people get, um, if they're, if they haven't seen it, right, that it's much easier to be in person. Um, so we, the Sherpa workshop, it's two days. And um, this workshop was fabulous. We had all these professionals that were there and a few horse people, horse owners, like you don't have to be a professional to take the workshop, but then you're not on the practitioner track, right? But that's totally okay because a lot of people just want the information. So we had body workers and farriers and we were supposed to have a vet, but she got called away. And I spend two days with them and I go through showing them techniques of how to safely use the pads and things to look for and things that, you know, like people get concerned, oh, my horse didn't stay on the pads. That's totally cool, right? If they walk off, it's totally fine. Or, you know, my horse didn't want that foot or my horse kicked that pad to the back foot. We're like, cool, because maybe he's trying to tell us he wants it under his back foot instead of his front foot. So, you know, people who haven't seen Surefoot very much or are new to Surefoot or are trying to figure out how to incorporate it into their practice really benefit from a workshop because we go through all these different ideas and, of course, how to 
safely place a hoof on a pad and all the things you can feel in that leg when you're putting that foot down. So that's one of the things that I think is so important is to realize that we're not just, it's not like picking out a foot. When you're putting that foot down, you're feeling, is that leg light, heavy? Is it going wide? Is it going narrow? Is it going back? Is it going forward? Is it, does the horse have to reposition his other legs in order to have a stance? You know, there's so much nuance to this that when you're in person, you really get to see it. There's nothing like being in person with a horse on your foot pads. That is actually really true. I mean, it's yeah. once you see it, it's it's really cool. And I think that's a lot of learning how to do it is just actually playing with the pads. And, mm-hmm. and so I think that that's really cool to watch and to see you do it is even better. Like I, every time I see you do it, I'm like, Oh, I, I, we, we chat once a month, but I still learn so much when I see that. Yeah. And then I had the opportunity to go and meet a woman named Rita Brown, who's a dressage trainer in Massachusetts. I I can't tell you what town because I was following somebody over to her barn and thank goodness I was following him because I don't think I would have gotten, it was South Shore. That's all I can tell you. I was below Boston. Um, You know, I'm from New England and the roads are all windy, twisty. And I've been living in Virginia so long, I've forgotten how windy and twisty and left and right, you know, yeah, whatever. But we got there and a lovely lady, her name is Rita Brown. And I got to work with three of her horses that are in training and show her Surefoot. And it was, she was so quick. She got it so fast. It was really neat because I started just, um, unwrapping the pads and setting them out and having her stand on them. She stood on the half physio pad and she instantly said, wow, I can feel this in my back. So I knew with that level of feel that she was going to definitely get what Surefoot can do for her horses. And so we did one horse just on a line. And then I had her sit on a horse while I put pads underneath him. And she was blown away. She said, it's like cutting 30 minutes of warm up out And the horse was in front of her leg, which sometimes can take some time to get that horse in front of her leg. But he was in front of her leg and she hadn't really, you know, what she'd done three, four circles. Right. So she was so excited about it. And then I I showed her on another horse and her horses were so interesting because they were all so completely different. One was kind of a smarty pants, you know, like I've got this. And then the horse she rode, very careful and cautious. And then the mare suspicious like what are you doing why are you doing this what what you know how am i going to feel and then she yawned at the end it was so cool i hardly did anything with her and she started Mm -hmm. to yawn it was really so it's just super neat to work with people you know with these upper level horses because that you know they work so hard and it's really important to make sure that we give them that feeling of comfort and relaxation and so often you know it's like human athletes you're so pumped all the time that you don't let down, but then you don't recover well. Then you don't, you know, you don't maximize your power, the whole thing. And if you have a horse that's, you know, come to you in training, which she gets a lot of horses in training that may have had a couple of issues from another trainer or another experience or, you know, something that wasn't fitting, Surefoot can really help those horses let go of those habits and those patterns. I liked what you said about, you know, like, each horse being an individual and how they relate to the pads. And I think it's good just to take some time and try to read, read your horse's signals and and see what they're trying to tell you as you're experimenting with the pads, you know, just to, just to take your time and, 
you know, I myself, I'm a little impatient person and I want to, you know, get to it and, and I want my horses to be successful. My experience with the ladies that came over and, and showed me the pads was they were just like, this is going to take some time. And, you know, the horses need to figure it out and, and need to need, need to have their own time and space to be able to figure out what pads they like and figure out which legs they want them on and, and all that stuff. So I think, you know, we just have to tell people to be super patient when you're working with, with the pads and uh, with their horses. Absolutely. And, you know, um, on my way up this trip, I've forgotten because I did so many things on this trip. I stopped to see Felicitas von Neumann Cosell and we filmed her with her horses with Surefoot. And Felicitas has been using pads for three years now. And it was so interesting to watch her because I can see uh, a change over time in in how she uses the pads. And one of the things was so fascinating was that when she puts her horses on pads, she steps back. She doesn't hold the reins. She doesn't want to hold the reins. She wants the horses to be in balance on their own. And she said, you know, I'm having to talk because the camera's here, but normally I would just stand here quietly at a distance and observe the horse and just really notice what was happening. And that's so true. What you're saying is, you know, I've, I've watched her over time and it seems as though each time I see her, there's a quieter spot there that she's more patient in terms of letting the horses have that moment. And it was really neat to to watch her want, you know, what it, what she wanted most was for the horses to just be in their space and for her to observe quietly. And I thought that was fascinating. Wow. I love it. And, and Wendy, you also have a really cool new product that I cannot wait to try. <laughs> Can you tell us about it? Sure. We've talked about it before, but Woo! they're here. So, so excited. Um, I know. So I, I finally got the lookup glasses. And of course, I grabbed a box of them when I went up to this clinic to, to field test them, right? Um, and I got up to the clinic. And I, after the Surefoot workshop, I did a three-day riding clinic. And I have one rider that I've worked with a, a number of times. She's a lovely horse. And uh, she's just been doing great. She's been doing fantastic. And the horse is so much improved like he's he's a big guy and he used to be really loud and now he's really quiet and he's super um but she's had a baby and so you know for the past year she's been like oh my shoulders are more slumpy and nah, 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 nah. i was like well here try these and i i just handed them to her i didn't even you know she's been a student of mine so she knows i'm always doing weird things and it's okay <laughs> i always have to prerequisite mm. that um but mm. i gave her the glasses and she put them on and i was done in you know, two minutes, I was, she sat up, she looked up, her shoulders opened, the horse came up in front of her, and it was amazing. And it was like, I've seen this happen before with the prototypes that I've made, but it was just like, there it is again. It's like, so, wow. It was so, you know, it was so striking, um, the change. And really what the glasses are doing is making it so there's no value in looking down. So obviously there's a slit that you have to look through and the bottom part of the field is blocked. So if you do look down, you're not going to see anything. And, you know, that's the thing is we don't even know when we're looking down because it's a habit. Habits are unconscious, right? You're, You're not doing it to make your instructor miserable, to yell at you to look up. You're doing it because our brain 
gathers information by looking. Our eyes are our primary. So we're either looking at our horse or we're looking at our hands or we're looking, you know, at something we're riding past. And what this does is it just takes the value out of looking down and makes looking up the obvious thing to do. And then, of course, that changes your whole balance as a rider. It brings you more upright. It opened her chest. She sat up, you know, and the horse moved beautifully. So, so much fun. <laughs> I love it. And we have been talking about these glasses and I'm like, oh, I'm itching to get a, get my hands on them. And that is one of the things, Wendy, that you have. You have the Franklin balls. You have all of these tools, the Surefoot pads that are there to bring awareness to the rider and to the horse. And they're really phenomenal. I mean, they really change the way you teach and the way you ride. So uh, how can we find these? Where where do we go to find these magic glasses? Because I can't wait to try that. Okay, you can find everything on the Murdoch Method website. So MurdochMethod.com, that's M-U-R-D-O-C-H, because recently somebody tried to Venmo me and they were using K. So it's M-U-R-D-O-C-H-M-E-T-H-O-D.com. And just go to the shop and the trainer in the rider aids is the lookup glasses and the Franklin balls and the anywhere saddle chairs. And then, of course, the Surefoot pads have their own category and you can find them all there. Um, you know, and it's just, for me, it's so much fun to find something simple that solves a major problem. In other words, there's technology out there that we can use, but some, but you know how technology fails, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <Yes>. often. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. Um, you know, and my classic technology thought is when we went to Africa, this is 99, Joyce Harmon, Dr. Joyce Harmon and I went and we had to saddle fit an elephant and she brought her computer pressure pad to measure the pressures underneath the elephant saddle to find out what was going on. And here they were. I have this fabulous picture of everybody staring at the computer on the ground, the manager and the guys and everybody staring at the computer through the front legs of the elephant, right? You can see the elephant's trunk and the legs, and there they are with this piece of black equipment because it's not working. And I walked over to the saddle, the elephant saddle, and I peeled back the saddle pad, and here was a bolt sticking down an inch and a half. <gasps> right? Oh. So, yeah, and that was what the problem was. So simple observation overrode thousands of dollars worth of equipment. And it's <sighs> some, sometimes we get caught up in technology, but, you know, in the end, it's usually the simple solution, the thing that's, you know, not necessarily terribly expensive or terribly fancy that's, that really brings the awareness and solves the problem. And in that case, it was just literally walking over and looking. Um, wow. You know, and so that's what I'm, I'm always trying to do. I'm always trying to find a simple solution that, you know, doesn't have to be overly processed through the, the analytical part of our brain, but is immediate so that you know, the, the cause and effect are right there and then it's obvious. And so we then have that solution and it's easy. We can take it anywhere. Don't have to have batteries or anything like that. Um, and it solves the job. It does the job. Love it. Well, Wendy, as always, thank you so much. We always love chatting with you and you always make us smile and I love all of your inventions. So everybody check out Wendy's, all of Wendy's products and we can't wait to talk to you next month. All right. We'll see you all next time. Absolutely. Thanks, Wendy. All right. Thanks. Bye. Well, Phil, I think you and I rode in a little bit of rain this weekend at our competitions. And I'm not going to lie. I loved my stability stirrup leathers. I'm so thankful when things get a little wet that they add a little bit of stability to my leg. I love these stirrup leathers. How about you? 
Yeah, I mean, they're just so comfortable and... Uh, you know, I needed I need them to stay on once in a while. I had a little <laughs> issue. I had a little issue in the ring this weekend. We're gonna we're, we can talk about that in a, in, a, in a moment. And uh, I'm always happy to have uh, the stability stirrup leathers to kind of hold my leg on the horse and myself on the horse. I love it. Well, Total Saddle Fit has fantastic products. Check out their website, totalsaddlefit.com. Justin is amazing over there and his team, and they have really innovative products that are fantastic. So can't thank them enough. So take a look and you're going to love these stability stirrup leathers. We use them every day and they really are, they're pretty awesome. So we hope you enjoy. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. Well, Phil, we have a great Total Saddle Fit tip of the week. Actually, you, uh, last week, if everyone listened to the show, it was you, you had a great account of sort of being back in the ring. Obviously, we're all having some challenges. You haven't shown because of lockdown in Canada. Uh, your horses have not had their normal sort of schedule to get out. And you talked about, you had a lot of challenges last week with weather and taking horses to the competition. So for this saddle fit tip, we wanted to kind of check in and see how it went. So I'll let you take it away. Well, I, I can, I can tell you that 90% of the time was, was good. And I, you know, following my plan and, and, you know, made a good plan and, and all that stuff. And actually the worst of the weather was on the, on the preparation day of, uh, you know, so, so I was happy that the, you know, the weather settled down and for the next couple of days I did deal with riding in, in a little bit of rain, but, but, uh, just a sprinkling and the other two days had, had some nice weather, but, uh, my my one horse, he's uh, he's it can be a little bit challenging, and he can be. Uh, uh, we like to I like to t- you know say that he's he's ninety percent good and probably five percent of a bit of a badass. He likes to <laughs> have a little bit of an opinion. So my badass was was going good, going in the ring, and then I have to make you know had to make a turn to the center line in canter to do a half pass, little zigzag and four two. And he decided he did not want to do that, and he had some oh. opinion, and he had uh, a little bit, li- little bit of a rear, um, which Naughty hasn't happened boy. with me and him, yeah, for a while. So it was challenging, but uh, you know, I just I got after him a bit, and uh, then he completed his test, and it was fine. But I, I always thought, think that it's a bit of a challenge with a horse who disbehave or who doesn't behave during your test i mean how do you correct that in in the right way to not make a scene and not you know because we're in front of a judge Mm -hmm. what do you do so Mm -hmm. just wonder what what your thoughts were on on that kind of a thing yeah it's really difficult Uh, that is a, a tricky place to be in and and i'll be honest you know um obviously I've, I've had a very different show experience this year because our shows have been happening and I competed in Florida and uh, my big Mike horse can sometimes take advantage in the ring. And it, we changed our warm up plan a little bit and he's either really, really good and is in the seventies at the FEI levels or he's not. <laughs> and, um, 
I will say I came home to Kentucky and a friend of mine was judging and he kind of started to be a stinker in the ring. And I just, in my head said, you know, today is not the day you're going to do that. Like, this is a test you're, you're capable of doing. You've competed this level. Um, you're not scared. You're, you're taking advantage of me a little bit. And, and again, it could be a unique situation, but I decided this was a very local show. It was on a Wednesday. It was a recognized show, but again, very specific targeted competition. And I thought, you know, today I'm going to correct him in the ring. And I did. And I, I'm very thankful because the next time I took him back, we went to the horse show a, a month later and he was awesome. 70% did his job. And, and so I think my uh, idea of I'm going to correct him in this ring, you know, for example, I went to go do an extended trot and he just cantered. He didn't even try. So he got in trouble for that. I mean, I kind of, I kind of stopped him and I kind of gave him a kick and I started again. And then he made a mistake in his changes. And for him, that's an absolute highlight. Uh, so I stopped him and I started again, but I was ready to take sort of the hit on the score. Does that make sense, Phil? Like, yeah, I, absolutely. I, absolutely. I, I mean, like you, I think you said it perfectly in that you were going to show, going to that show with a purpose in mind and yes. to, you know, not let the horses, you know, take advantage. And that's right. uh, kind, of, kind of where I was at with this horse as well. And I think if you can correct the horse quickly. So basically yeah. he stood up and he's, and then he went down again and he sort of, you can feel it with the horses that like, he's, you know, what are you going to do about it? Kind of thing. Right. Right. And then, so I put both legs on and I gave a tap with the whip and I said, this is not going to happen. And it was, and, and right out, like it was over. Right. So you've right. got to know, and you've got to be prepared that you are not going to create a 10 minute fight because you're, you're not, you know, you can't be in there for 10 minutes or, or whatever. Right. And not to escalate the situation. So you got to read your horse a little bit to say, you know, mm -hmm. if I, if I give a kick, or I give a tap of the whip, you know, um, that my horse will back down. Right. Because right. if you do that thing and, and then the horse goes, yeah, it's on, then what are you going to do? Well, I think you have to you decide what you're yeah. going to do. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a quick game time decision. I think pushing the horse forward. Uh, I think at that point, hopefully your judge sees what's going on and you make a correction. Uh, I also really am a, I like schooling shows. I think schooling shows are are really good because that gives you the freedom to say, you know, I am going to correct this horse in the ring and the horses get smart. They're not stupid. They know they go down that center line. And I think every once in a while kind of getting in there and saying, Hey, you're not going to do this today. You know, you're going to do your job. Uh, I think that's really, really critical that, that, and, and I think everyone gets, it's only natural to go down the center line and think, oh, I'm in a competition. I'm, I'm going to be perfect. Or, yeah, uh, and, and to ride differently, right? You know, yes. I, I, so many times you have riders who have such a wonderful warm up. It happens to everybody. Mm -hmm. You have such a wonderful mm -hmm. warm up, and then you kind of freeze up in the ring and, and stop riding. Sure. And I think you're trying to create a nice, harmonious picture. But you're also training at the same time, and every show is, is right. a little bit uh, of a training experience as well. So I, I just want people to uh, understand, like, judges are riders too, and we've all been through that situation. And so, you know, if, if you carry a whip, be ready to use it 
not not in a in a really harsh way, but just to, you know, I don't mind, you know, in a corner giving a little tap, like I need a little bit more or getting the horse ready to do an extension or something like that. Don't freeze up or, you know, if you if there's if there's something going on in, in like you're feeling something negative happening and, and usually it's just horses sucking back and just, you know, going like, oh, I'm not going to, you know, I don't have to give my best in here. I think that's a really common experience. Then, you know, be prepared to ride. That, that's it. That, that's that's what I want to tell people to, to yeah. do is to go, you know, go in from the warm up riding and keep riding and, and getting, you know, looking to get a, a good score because you're not a passenger. You're a rider and you and you know how to do each of the movements in the test that you're riding and and be, and, and are capable of really riding through each movement, then then do that. Do what you need to do right. to get to get the best score possible. Not sit up there and just make, um, you know, a perfect picture because the horses just will take over and they'll just do yeah. whatever they want. And and that's, that's what right. I see a lot. So yeah, I do too. And you know, I I think going to an away show is difficult. I so I. I went to an away show also this weekend and we also had bad weather and it took us forever to get there. And, you know, we got there in this terrible storm. We like got him in a stall just in time. I unhooked the trailer and then it poured rain. Oh my gosh. It poured. It was like coming into the stall. Like it was terrible. And, uh, it was, it was crazy. And, and I forgot. And then, you know, sleeping in a hotel and, you know, that's difficult. I've, I've been, been very blessed because you, we've been in Florida and in Florida, you sleep in your own bed, you know, where you're renting or live or wherever you go home. And I've shown also in Kentucky. So I, I go to the horse show and come right back home. So it is different to have to travel and it changes, you know, how your eating habits and, you know, all of those things and those sort of play into the horse show. And, and getting used to that and, and your horse used to that. So, um, you know, be aware of that as well as you go to a competition. So it really is important. And, and, and it also is a practice skill. You know, you just, competitions are, are what they are and, and you have to be ready for that and sort of prepared for that. So, yeah, I think, you know, you sometimes have to decide how you're going to ride your test and, and what you're going to do. So, uh, no, I love it. Congratulations, Phil. You guys got to go to a horse show. That's so exciting. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and, and it, was, it wasn't all bad. I, I had uh, I had shown three horses and that that was just the the my badass. You know, the other horses went, <laughs> went very well. And uh I ended up being reserve champion at fourth level with with one Woo-hoo! of the other Yeah. So I mean, there's ups and downs, right? Ups and downs yeah, and ups and downs. What they are and keep keep moving forward and keep making plans. And uh, we're going to go to another show in about uh, three or four weeks. So yeah, we're just gonna keep practicing, keep going, keep going. Yeah. Keep going. I love it. I love it. Well, congratulations. And as always, we love hearing it and um, send us your, your show experiences. We love email and Facebook shout outs. It, it really makes our day and we like to incorporate it in the show. So keep, if you have any show experiences like Phil and I, please send them because uh, we enjoy reading them. Well, Phil, we need a drum roll. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, <laughs> we have our uh, latest book club book. Oh, everybody, I am so excited about this one. I've been lobbying for this book for a while. 
So I'm excited that we're we're doing it. So we are our newest book is Charlotte Tijardin's book, The Girl on the Dancing Horse. So excited that well, we, we have we can, this. Book. We can, yeah, we can uh, watch her in the Olympics and and read about her experiences with Vallegro, and uh, I think that's pretty cool. Oh, it's so cool. And, and uh, Phil, I'm not going to lie. I've already started it. <laughs> I'm, I'm halfway <laughs> through it. But it talks about her early years and her growing up. And it's just cool. It's just, uh, I'm I'm just thrilled to that we get to offer it to everybody. And I think just hearing a story and, and learning her story, uh, you know, here's the number one writer in the world. And it talks about her family and her sister and her mom and just her whole journey. Um, I'm, I'm just, I've just gotten to the point that she, she went to Carl Hester's and she talks about how she got there. And I mean, it's just fabulous. So I, I know everyone's going to be excited. We're going to add it to our book club list, but this is, uh, Charlotte Dujardin, The Girl on the Dancing Horse. You can get it at horseandriderbooks.com. Always a great source of all our books. And uh, we're going to have a Horse Radio Network auditor. We'll we'll review it. And hopefully we will work on, um, obviously Charlotte is at the Olympics, uh, but we're going to work on having someone from her team or her come on and and tell us about the book. So we really look forward to it. And uh, we hope you guys like it. So uh, take a look. It will be on on the website and uh, look forward to going from there. What do you think, Phil? Yeah, I've got to update the auditor page with uh, you know, with the the way I raffle it off and 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 do that. So uh, probably on the on the weekend, you can uh, can look for the the note about uh, Charlotte's book and, and be our reviewer. Love it. Well, as always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guest on our website dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to find me is probably on Facebook and my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a good show. That's Kentucky Performance Products, Total Saddle Fit, and Surefoot. Don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Well, everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back. We are off next week, so enjoy the the Western Radio Show, and we will be back in August.